1: Thank you for joining us. The foundation of genuine salvation is based on our belief in and application of the entire uncompromised Word of God. We must live in it, walk in it, talk in it, aid in it, love in it, stand firm in it, abide in it, and so on. All love, honor, and glory belong to God. We must continuously strive to abide in the Word of God and all that we think, say, and do. This is the true measure of genuine salvation. Listen with Bible, pen, and paper handy as Pastor Rander enlightens us today on how to know if we are genuinely saved.
2: Let's pray. And Father, we thank you for the privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ one more time. I'm amazed that you let me preach and pastor for 37 years. And didn't even preach longer than that. So actually, we're talking about over 40 years of preaching. Even when I wasn't a pastor, I was preaching in Houston. Thank you, Lord, for the longevity of ministry. Thank you, Father. that you could have done away with me a long time ago, but it's by your grace you've left me here. Not because I'm all of that. I'm still surprised you use me. Because there are multitudes of persons that can out-preach me, out-think me, out-pastor me. I'm just glad to be here. Thank you for your mercy, your grace, and I'm sure the rest of this church body as well as those live streaming, those all over the building can agree with me. We are here by your grace and mercy. You brought us to the house of God to worship you, to delight in you, to thank you, to bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of God and to hear a word from you. What is a worship service without the word of God preached in the spirit of God to the glory of God? We pray against satanic distractions. And let the redeemer of the Lord say so in Jesus name and all God's children said amen. amen. For those of you we have so many coming and going and others who just come in and, and visiting for the first time and just all kinds of people in all kinds of situations. You said, "What is he doing?" I'm preaching through the book of First John. So let me just say it say it like that. I preach through the entirety of First John chapter one. We're now in the latter portion of First John. First John chapter two, verses twelve through fourteen. If you're looking in your Bible, you'll get to First John quicker if you go back to the end of the Bible and then go a few books up, and you'll find First John. I know you're using your tablets and iPhones and all those kinds of things, but it's nothing like a real Bible because it teaches you how to use the it teaches you how to use the book, and you'll never learn how to use the book on technology, although technology has its its advantages, I can assure you, but it's nothing like the Bible. So we're preaching through and we're in 2 John, and then I'm preaching verse by verse, expositorily, straight down. And so next time I preach, I'll be going to the next segment, unless it's a Father's Day or some Mother's Day or some special day. I'm just going down. You can kind of read ahead to see where I'm headed and say, well, you know, I wonder what pastor's going to do with this passage. So you know where I'm headed unless God gives me something special to preach other than that. But First John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. It says, "I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked ones. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one." From this particular passage of scripture, we want to preach this morning the theme of this section, how to know if I'm genuinely saved, how to know if I'm genuinely saved. In life, there are many decisions that one has to make decisions about what school you will attend, what you want to major in, in college, what career field you would like to go into. Who are you going to marry? That's a major decision. Decisions like finances and investments, major purchases decision. Where you would like to live. What church will you become a member of? And so much more. But the greatest decision in all of life is, will you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal savior or not. My friend, the days are too evil. The devil is too busy. And life is too short. Let me say that again. Because you you get this. The days are too what? Evil. The devil is too busy. And life is too short. For you to be unsure about your salvation. You need to be absolutely sure. That you are saved without a doubt. The Lord gave me this message. So that you will not live your whole life. The totality of your life in doubt. Living your life in uncertainty as to whether or not you are saved or not. What a horrible, horrible, horrible way to live. The purpose of this message is to help you to have the assurance of your salvation. This is why John, the beloved apostle John, penned this book is to give. One of the main reasons is to give uh, the believers the assurance of their salvation. With that being said, I transition. How do I know Without a doubt, that I'm genuinely saved. I want you to know without a doubt that you are genuinely saved so that you can do your greatest work now to the glory of God. So, how do I know without a doubt that I'm genuinely saved? Number one, knowing that we have been forgiven gives us the assurance of our salvation. Knowing that we have been forgiven gives us the assurance of our salvation. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are, look at that, forgiven you for his namesake. Who is his name? Christ's namesake. John begins, verse 12, by calling all believers little children. We are children of God. We belong to God. We are his children. And the way you become a child of God, you have to be born again. little children literally means born ones when a believer genuinely confesses his sins to Christ his or her sins are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ God no longer sees his or her sins but only sees the blood of his son which causes him or her to be forgiven to forgive means to let go To just, whatever it is, whatever a person's done to you, how have you been hurt? Some of you holding on to stuff way back in grandma's time. Let it go. On a job, a sibling, a mother-in-law, a church member, whatever. Let it, to forgive is to let go. It is to release it. It is to be acquitted. You need to be writing these terms down, because even writing these terms down give you a sense of peace to forgive is to let go to release to be acquitted you know what it means to be pronounced not guilty wow to be pronounced not guilty first john chapter 1 verse 7 says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship the word fellowship in the greek means koinonia we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all sins i mean all sins say all Say all again. There's no sin you committed in your life that God cannot forgive. That is a big statement. That ought to make you shout on out of here. You don't have to walk in guilt. You don't have to walk in shame. There is no sin committed that God cannot forgive if you humbly confess it and plead the blood of Jesus over it. Forgiveness brings spiritual rest. Some folk are restless because they're not forgiven. Forgiveness brings spiritual rest. Forgiveness brings peace of mind. And that's what people need. They don't need a psychologist. They need the peace of God in the mind. And when you have a peace of God in the mind, this keeps us from unnecessarily beating ourselves up over past sins that God no longer remembers once we have genuinely repented. You try to bring that old sin up again and you genuinely confessed it 20 years ago. He's saying, what are you talking about? I don't remember it. And the reason he don't remember it because he only sees the blood because because the blood covers the sin. Beloved, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from all sins. Any sin, no matter how great, can be forgiven. If one genuinely and humbly repents and confesses his sins to Jesus, a continual confession of sin is an indication of genuine salvation. Now, you need to write that down. That is real cr- critical. A continual confession of sin is an indication of genuine salvation. You say, well, Pastor Drake, when the last time you confessed your sins? This morning did you confess him last night? Sure did. Did, did you confess him yesterday? Yes. You will confess him tonight? Before tonight. Okay. Oh, by the way, don't look at me and say, what he did? You're a sinner too. <laughs> you need to be confessing your sins and you, you got enough in your own life to be dealing with without trying to be looking at mine. <laughs> Do I have a witness? Stop trying to point out everybody else's faults and sins because you got enough stuff to deal with that will last you a lifetime. <laughs> Psalm 32 5 says, I acknowledge my sins. Not Joe's sins, not Shirley's sins, not cutting low sins. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. Some folks spend all their time covering up their sins. Polishing their sins. You know, they never get rid of it because they never fully deal with it to their own spiritual demise.
0: But,
2: but the some it says, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my sins. I said, I will confess. You know the word confess. Look at that word. Underline that word. It's in your Bible if you have torn that page out. The word confess means to, to agree with God about your sins. To say the same thing about your sin that God says. I agree with God. I confess my transgressions, another word for sins, to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sins. Look, he says my sins. Look, my, 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 not everybody else. I acknowledge my sins. I did not cover my iniquity. My, my, I will confess my transgressions. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. My, 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 my. It's me, oh Lord. It's not my brother, not my sister. But it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not you, it's me. I need to be saying I'm sorry. I need to be saying I'm wrong. I need to be crying out for God's mercy. I need to be calling for God's grace. I need to come repentant, asking God to have mercy on my soul. Refuse to allow Satan to give you a guilt trip once you've truly confessed your sins. Refuse to allow Satan to give you a guilt trip over your past forgiven sins when you've been authentically forgiven. When Satan reminds you of your past, you remind that no good devil of his future. My friend, once you have genuinely repented and turned from your sins, then accept God's forgiveness and refuse to revisit the sins of your past. Stop going back to your favorite sins. You say they're, they're, they're my favorite? Yeah, they must be. You keep going back to them. <laughs> they're your favorite sins. The same old sin. You keep going back, going back there. Hey, and what, what you going back there for? What you going back? Uh, it's it's just gonna mess you up when you find it. And don't let folk know stuff folk you know everybody knows something on you now. Uh oh. Everybody knows something on, everybody know if you've been living unless you died in two or one, somebody knows something on you. <laughs> got quiet y'all got You ain't been holy all you ever been holy all your night life. But you know what? God has covered that stuff too and don't you receive nothing. I know what you do. You remember when you did that certain thing and they try to remind you over it to put that guilt trip? You say that's not who I am or whose I am. I've come to Jesus. I made it right with God and I'm saved. I'm sanctified and I'm blood washed. I'm free and I refuse to let you or anybody else guilt trip me. God word gives you permission to live in freedom. Did you get that? God's word gives you the permission to live in freedom and refuse to allow anyone. To, you are still your freedom in Christ. Why? Because of John eight thirty six, which says, therefore, if the son, the Lord Jesus makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Nobody can free you like Jesus. Number two. Uh, how can I know I'm saved without a doubt? There is no salvation apart from knowing Christ personally. There is no salvation apart from knowing Christ personally. First John 2, 13 through 14 says, I write to you fathers. Now underline the word fathers. You're going to see that again, and again. He said, Look at these words, the repetition of words. I write to you fathers, because you have known. Now underline known too. Underline the words, known and fathers. Because you have known him, who him, pronoun for God, who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known, there it is, known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have, look, known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. He said who's the wicked one? The devil. Satan. In verse 13, John uses the words fathers, he uses the word young men, and he uses the word little children. He uses the word fathers, young men and little children to refer to three levels of spiritual maturity in God's family. That's what this about. John uses the words fathers, young men, and little children to refer to three levels of spiritual maturity in the family of God. The spiritual goal of believers should be to grow into fathers, spiritual fathers, as well as spiritual mothers. These are the ones who are spiritually mature. The spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers are those who possess a deep and rich knowledge of God's word. Uh, They see all of life through the lens of scriptures. Those who are spiritual fathers and even spiritual mothers, they know how to commune with God in prayer and have an intimate relationship with Christ. What the church is in dire need of is more spiritually mature believers who know how to keep the main thing, the main thing, spiritually mature fathers and mothers. Spiritually, who know how to protect the unity of the spirit in the church and in the home and in the workplace, and help young, immature believers to grow in their faith. Now, you can't help folk grow if you're a baby yourself. As believers grow in the Word of God, it brings us from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. You see, that's why it's necessary to grow in the word of God, because it brings us from spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. Beloved, you are living in spiritual regression, looking more carnal than looking more like Christ. Or here's the question. Are you growing into spiritual maturity in Christ? Are you looking more carnal? Or are you looking more like Christ? Verses 13 and 14. John tell believers, they have known him who is from the beginning. See that phrase? Which refers to not the beginning of time, but the beginning of their relationship with Christ. The word known, you see that word known, I pointed out to you several times when I read the scripture. The word known is used three times to know Christ is not just to have intellectual knowledge about Christ. That's a big thought. Some folks think they know Christ because they have intellectual knowledge. They can, you know, quote the books of the Bible, and they can tell you the doctrine of Christology. They tell you the doctrine of doctrine of eschatology, pneumatology, and uh, all the other ologies, uh, bibliology. I can go through all of those things, and I've taught a lot of them. But you can have all of that knowledge and all of that theology and be damned to hell. You say, "How is that possible to have all that theology and still go to hell? Because you have an intellectual knowledge, but the knowledge hasn't gone to the heart, and it is it is intellectual knowledge without a personal relationship." Satan has intellectual knowledge, but he don't embrace it. He don't believe it. He don't receive it. You know. So you just can't have. Oh, I know this. There are people who have. A doctorate in theology, masters in theology and still hell bound, still hell bound. I was just heard uh, talking to another pastor just a couple of days ago, and I'm not going to say a name or not to say anything. It's a, this youth pastor in the church committed suicide, graduate of theological seminary and masters in it and all of that. And still with all that knowledge, still commit suicide. I'm going to tell you something. This book here, I said it once, I said it again. This book has a whole lot of sin in it. Yes. And you know what? And you could commit any sin that is documented in this book. You know why? Because we are people too. That's right. And we have a sin nature. And we get away from God. That's right. We get away from his word. We start praying. We get beside ourselves. We get too high and mighty. Full of pride, there's no sin too low down for you to do. That's right. So so trusting the person and work of Jesus alone is the only way you can know Christ and be assured of your salvation. Also, reflecting on when you first accepted Christ reassures you and removes your doubts. That's what brings me comfort. Even in my preaching ministry, when I go through tough times, when I go through crisis, when I go through sickness, when I go through trials, And when I go through experiences of death of the family and all this, when things, the trouble get all in my way, you know what I do? I reflect back. I say, God, you put me here. I remember how you called me, when you called me and where you called me. And that becomes my blessed assurance. And it lets me know I'm going to be all right because he put me in this ministry. And even you ought to be reflect back on your salvation, where God saved you, when God saved you. Reflect back on that moment in time and it'll give you the assurance of your salvation in the here and now, Philippians three ten says. Write that scripture down. It is a powerful scripture. It says that I may know Him. Now underline that. Oh my goodness, that I may know Him, and the power of the resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. That is a most explosive, powerful scripture. Let's now. Let's not move too quickly from the captivating statement that Paul makes when he says that I may know him. underline it. matter of fact, if you can, put a double line under it. It's just that significant. Put a double line under that I may know him. Our relationship with Christ would improve tremendously if that phrase alone is the innermost desire of our hearts. If all of us would pray, Lord, help me to know you more. What a profound spiritual impact it would have on our lives personally, what it would have on our families, what it would have on the Lord's church and those we interact with. Sadly, people don't have a heart's desire to know God more. You know what they want to know more? How to make more money. You know what they want to know more? What's the latest gossip? What, 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 what? They want to know more of the latest trends, the latest fashions. Uh, how how can I become more attractive? Maybe I can take some Botox, and I can I want more wrinkles gone. <laughs> you know, I want to know how can my my team win the championship. I want to know more about that. I want to know more about how to be successful in life. I want to know about more about how to be happy. How you going to be happy if you're not holy? <laughs> and some of you want to know more of this. What are we gonna have for dinner? <laughs> right now. What, you, you think about well, Yeah, maybe that's me. What, 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 you, some of you say, I hope Pastor's hungry, he won't preach too long today. What are we gonna eat? You, you, you ever heard that saving? You ever hear that statement man? Over and over? We don't get tired of saying, Hey, what are we gonna eat? 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 Like you don't have a diet. If you got peanut butter and jelly, you are gonna eat. Amen. Why don't y'all say amen? <laughs> Oh, what we going to eat? What are we going to eat? Gonna eat? Is, that, is that it? That's leftovers? It's food. <laughs> but the greatest question you should ask or be asking in your life is, am I saved? Here's the question. Am I saved without a doubt? And Lord, how can I know you more? What two spiritually profound questions? Am I saved without a doubt? And how can I know you more? Ooh, if we all if without leaving, saying, Lord, my heart's innermost desire is that I can I can get more dolls? How I can hit more balls on the golf court? You know, how I can play more bingo. I can play more dominoes. nothing wrong with that. I can go bowling, I, another movie, another Netflix, and everything else I can take on. But how can I know you more?
1: As committed children of the only true and living God, we walk by faith and not by sight. Life on earth is not easy. Yet, even in the midst of trials and tribulations, we have joy, hope,